Thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. So we've got a lot to, to work and walk through uh, today. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it or load it to Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And so while you're doing that, I'll start, uh, I'll start talking and rambling a little bit. Excuse me. And then we'll jump into our time today. So, uh, so number one, uh, this past weekend, we had our, our women's retreat. Ladies, and some of them went, right? Uh, some of you are trickling in. Did you guys get to go? I'm glad that you guys had, you ladies got to have that time. Um, that was a big deal. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed your time with one another this weekend. Uh, men, some of them started coming up to me like, when are we doing ours? We're going to do ours in the fall. Uh, and we'll give you more details on that as the fall comes in. We're still not really even into the rest of the year, uh, but we'll work through that nevertheless. Additionally, one thing I do want to invite you to is if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, if you've been with us for a while, uh, and you got some questions later today or after service at 1230, we're actually having a members class. Now, that doesn't mean that you're signing up. That doesn't mean that you got to give your life away. But this is your opportunity to where, man, if you've had questions, if you've been wondering a little bit about us, then I would invite you to join us at 1230. We'll share more details on that later this morning. Uh, today, we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Habakkuk. And the title of this series is called The Righteous Will Live by Faith. And this is ultimately the theme of the book as it's taken from chapter 2, verse 4. We'll visit that in the next couple of weeks. Nevertheless, we're going to find ourselves in chapter 1 of Habakkuk. I'm going I'm to jump right into our time because uh, I want to give you a little bit of historical context in order to better or best understand where Habakkuk's coming from and what is going on. We're going to find ourselves in Habakkuk for about the next eight weeks or at the very least eight sermons on Habakkuk. We're going to take a short break for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. But after that, we're back in Habakkuk finishing it up. Nevertheless, here we go. This is verses one through four in Habakkuk. I'll read this. I'll pray. I'll jump it through our time. And then we'll just keep going. Uh, <clears throat> so he writes, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw Excuse me, this is the oracle that, the, uh, that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Some, some heavy stuff. Let me pray, and then, and then we'll, just, we'll just jump into our time. Heavenly Father, as we begin to look at your word, as we begin to unpack your word, Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us today. First, you did it through, through song, and now that you would reveal yourself to us through your word. Um, I pray that this time would be considered, uh, would still be considered worship and that you would be given much glory, that you would be magnified, that you would be seen as the hero in the midst of something that might even come across as slightly confusing, yet relatable. Lord, I pray that you would be made much of in this time. It's in your name that we pray. 
Amen. All right, here we go. Here's a little bit of historical background considering, or concerning Habakkuk, right? Uh, not much is known about him. Right? Not much is known about Habakkuk. This is actually the only place in Scripture where we see this dude's name. Right? But with that being said, I want to kind of give you a, I don't want to use the behind the scenes because I want to use that term later on, but I want to give you this like backdrop as to what's going on behind him and why he's starting to write. So we're going to kind of backpedal and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of historical uh, events that you can see throughout the New Testament, which would be my encouragement to you. Uh, so I'm going to paraphrase a lot of historical uh, events that have happened up leading us to Habakkuk. If you feel like, uh, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's actually said in the Bible. You're right, because I'm paraphrasing it. Like, you're not going to see the word dude. But nevertheless, here's what we do know about Habakkuk. This dude was a prophet of God. Now we're going to touch on that a little bit. In fact, I want you to put that in the back burner. The fact that he was a prophet of God. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But before that, let's go all the way back to King David. Here we go. Here is the timeline and here is the paraphrase. Here is the lack of detail that I'm putting on you to find when you visit scripture, right? So King David, right, he's ruling, he's reigning. Um, at this time, he goes before God. God considers him a man after his own heart. He goes to God and he says, man, I want to build this temple. I want to build you a temple. And God says, you got too much blood on your hand, homie. This is what you can do, right? You can gather the supplies for the temple, but that's about it. And then David dies, right? See how quick I'm going on this history. Like the, these details are really condensed, right? This is the Cliff Notes version. So King David dies. King Solomon comes up and he's reigning. It's his son, right? King Solomon is ruling. He's reigning. He builds a temple. It's the biggest temple. It's the most expensive temple. All of these things are happening. There's like uh, people just serving the Lord. And then Solomon dies, right? And then you have another king, Amon, right? He starts ruling. He starts doing his thing, right? And here's what we see happening. Everything that was built in Solomon's day, everything that was built is now starting to crumble. The temple is being destroyed. Things are going astray. People are turning to idolatry. Israel is now split in two. The north is Israel. The south is Judah. You could read about this in 1 Kings chapter 12 or even 2 Chronicles 10. So Solomon dies, Amon is doing his thing, everything's starting to crumble. Amon then dies, right? And his son Josiah takes over, right? A lot of, a lot of details here, right? Josiah takes over. And Josiah gets uh, brought up as king. He was either six or eight years old when he gets brought up in, in, in as king. This is in 2 Kings. So he gets brought in as king. And he's like, cool. He's 16 and he gives himself to the Lord. And he says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go ahead and renovate this whole temple. It's been destroyed. It's been trashed. All of these vile things have happened. We're going to renovate the temple. So he does, and he goes on to renovate the temple. As he's doing that, it, uh, scripture says that he finds a scroll. Now, theologians along with historians all agree that the scroll in which he found were the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? So he reads through them. He reads through them and he says, oh my gosh, this is us. Let me repent. So he repents of his sin. Those that are with him, he leads them in repentance. And then as king, he leads his people in a culture of repentance and reform. And so things are starting to reform. Momentum is starting to move forward. All of these things are going. And then Josiah dies, right? 
Josiah dies, and as momentum was just starting to get built, people are starting to go back into their uh, uh, sin, starting to go back into idolatry. His two boys come up, and they start reigning, right? I can't pronounce their names, but you'll see them in 2 Kings 23 and 20 through 25. One reigns, he dies. The second one reigns, he's going for it, and he's just trashing everything. Enter Habakkuk. He's writing at the time that all of this is happening. He's writing at a time where he is watching uh, corruption, evil, idolatry unravel before him. Now here's the kicker. He is watching this happen as it's going on right in front of him and it's happening through God's people. It's God's people who are doing all of this and he's watching it, right? Many theologians believe that even Habakkuk during this time was contemporaries with Jeremiah. If you've read through Jeremiah, like they were homies. They knew each other, right? And so they're writing at similar times. And so that's really just the background of what we see from Habakkuk. This is where we see why he's writing through this, right? That's ultimately why he starts by saying, how long, O Lord? Because he is watching corruption and evil and idolatry and just horrendous things unfold in front of him. And these are horrendous acts committed by God's people that are unfolding right in front of him, right? Now here's why we're in Habakkuk. So that's kind of a background. So you got a little bit more knowledge about this guy. Now here's why we're in Habakkuk. Habakkuk gives us a really cool behind the scenes shot at God with one of his prophets. You don't really get this. If you've, if you've read through, <coughs> excuse me, if you've read through Isaiah, if you've read through Ezekiel, if you've read through uh, even Jeremiah, we see two things that are recorded in all the prophets' uh, books, right? We see that one, each one of them has a unique calling from God, and number two, each one of them is called to go preach repentance, right? And that's recorded in scripture. We don't get that with Habakkuk. We don't hear about his unique calling, right? There's no prophecy in this book. We don't, we don't see him going to the people and preaching repentance. But we do get this behind the scenes view, snapshot of Habakkuk's relationship with God. When you read through even some of the major prophets like Jeremiah or Ezekiel, most of the time, if you're looking at it from a big picture, one of the things that you tend to see is that these guys get called by God, they go preach, and when they go preach, what are they saying? Thus says the Lord, right? Like, this is what God has told me to tell you, right? But we never get to see the background. Like, what happens? How do they feel when they've gone to a people, preach repentance, and the people beat them up, the people don't repent? What, what, what does that conversation with God look like afterward? What is that conversation when, when Jeremiah is just, he also known as, as the weeping prophet, what, what did that conversation look like between Jeremiah and God when he's saying, man, I'm preaching repentance and no one is repenting? We get that view with Habakkuk. We get that view to where we, because a prophet, we can safely assume that he was called by God, that he was given a unique calling, and then he was sent to preach repentance. Yet we don't, give, we don't see that in this book. Instead, what we see him do is crying out to God in confusion with complaining and crying and lament, saying, how long? How long are you going to let this happen? Right? 
And so that's the behind the scenes version that we get. Now, as we get into the text, we're not exactly, or I'm not exactly going to exegete this section and break it up into into every single verse. But what I do want to challenge you on is going to be some practical things that we see Habakkuk do even in the midst of his lamenting and complaining and crying. And the first one, or not necessarily the first one, but kind of the first piece of that is, here's one thing I want you to understand. The road to maturity as a Christian, or I should say it this way, that the, 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 the reality of Christian maturity is that you're going to come to a place, whether it's today, whether it was last year, or it's coming, you're going to get to a place where you're eventually going to ask, why God? Why Your word says this. You're allowing this to happen. You say this is who you are. Stuff is still going on. Why aren't you doing anything about it? Right? Part of the reality of Christian maturity is that you're going to come to that place. If you haven't already. Right? Because that's where Habakkuk is at. Habakkuk is seeing all of this stuff unfold in front of him. He is seeing all of this stuff unfold in front of him, and he is going to God and he's saying, why? This is who you are. This is what's happening. Why aren't you doing anything about it? And I bet you guys have already faced some of those. And so everyone gets to a place where we are uncertain, unsure, we're confused, even frustrated at our lack of understanding at what God is doing. And through Habakkuk, what we're going to see is God respond to his complaints even after Habakkuk still lacks answers and clarity. And this is where we get our title from, right? The righteous will live by his faith. We'll get to that in the next couple of weeks. But that's ultimately going to be Jeremiah's, or excuse me, Habakkuk's conclusion. And we're going to see his heart change. We'll talk about that later. So with that being said, Let's jump into the things that we see Habakkuk do for the purpose of encouraging you, but at the same time for the purpose of being convicted. Right? Not that that's my goal, but I mean, I was convicted, so I'd imagine you would be too. Here we go. Number one, here's the first thing that we see Habakkuk do, right? He starts by saying, how long, O Lord? Or, O Lord, how long? Right? What we can know from this is that this isn't the only time he has had this prayer, right? He has been waiting for a while. That's number one. Number two, here's what we see him do. We see him in his complaint, in his concern, in his frustration, we see him turn to God. That's the first thing that we see him do. We see him turn to God in the midst of of his complaints and his confusion. The first thing that he does is that he turns to God, not other gods or idolatry. He doesn't turn to other gods and he doesn't turn to other forms of idolatry. He goes to God himself. And so the question is, what does that look like in the midst of our complaints? What does that look like in the midst of our confusion? In other words, when things aren't going the way you want them to, or when you're confused about the way things are unraveling, do you go to any other gods or idols apart from the Lord Jesus? Now, some of you may go to food, right? You're a stress eater, right? I was uh, hanging out with one of the guys earlier this week, and his thing is gummy bears, right? Goes to gummy bears. I was like, man, I totally get it. Mine's triple meat, triple cheese, right? Like, that's, that's my thing. I totally get it. Everybody laughs because we're on the same page, Right? That tends to be my thing. Some people, right, it's isolation. Maybe you bottle everything up and maybe you tend to isolate yourself, right? 
So maybe it's not food, maybe it's isolation, maybe it's, maybe it's drinking, maybe it's the bottle. You turn to alcohol, right? You begin to trust or you begin to go toward your under, own understanding and instead of going to God about what's happening in front of you, about your confusion, about your frustrations, instead of turning to God, you turn to your own understanding and you submit to the bottle, you submit to food, you submit to isolation, you submit to pornography, you submit to your arrogance, you submit to something else, right? Now, when we do that, here's the practical reality of that. When we do that, you and I are incapable of worshiping. We are incapable, let me be more specific, you and I are incapable of worshiping God. Because at that moment when we turn to an idol and submit ourselves to something else, we are incapable of worshiping, we're incapable of worshiping God because something other than Jesus is ruling our hearts. Something other than Jesus is ruling our hearts at that moment. Now, I get it. That's easier said than done. Turn to the Lord. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. Right? I fail at this constantly. Right? And so we're going to see, still see what Habakkuk continues to do. And my hope is that this would not just encourage you, but it would also challenge you. Right? So here's the next thing he does. The next thing he does is that Habakkuk is honest with God. So the first point leads into the second one, that he's honest with God. In his confusion, Habakkuk not only turns to God, but is honest with him about where he's at, right? Making him, in other words, Habakkuk is making himself transparent and vulnerable. He turns to God with his complaints, with his frustration, but he's also very honest. I think that's one of the things I appreciate most about this letter or about this book, he's, he's just being straight up with God, right? He's not holding back, he's putting it on the table. Whether he's right or wrong, whether he's confused or not, he's putting everything on the table. And so what that does inevitably is that it, it makes him transparent and it makes him vulnerable. Now there's a difference and transparency should lead into vulnerability, right? Now the difference between transparency and vulnerability is that transparency is me having a relationship with someone and sharing just enough for her, like I'm gonna use my wife as this example. Transparency would be me sharing just enough so that she can't hurt me. You feel me on that? It's me sharing just enough so that she can't hurt me. Vulnerability is when I put my shield down and I give her my sword. What does that do? That means she can use some stuff against me. That means she can really do some damage, right? But she doesn't because she's cool, <laughs> right? There's a, there's a difference when we're talking about transparency and vulnerability. And the reason I say that, the reason I, I talk about transparency and vulnerability is because when we resist being honest, when we resist being transparent and vulnerable with God, it not only affects our relationship with him, it affects our relationship with others. And what that does to us is that now we start to pretend who we are. We start to be fake, right? You guys know, you know what I'm talking about on that, right? When it comes to church, or church circles, you only give people enough so that they can't hurt you. You only act a certain way so that when you bounce out of here, you're someone else, right? 
You act a certain way when you're around certain people, right? When you start to develop friendships and community, especially within the church, you don't share everything. You hold back. You keep it in. You bottle it up. You let it fester. You don't necessarily become honest or authentic with others. Now, here's the thing. Being fake doesn't mean, oh, you're not authentic. It means you're, you're pretending. It means you're playing church. You're playing the part of a Christian, right? That, that's what tends to happen. Now, here's, here's what will happen as a result of that. What happens as a result of that, as you start to pretend or as you begin to do that over and over and over again, what you start to do is that you start to grow distant from God. You start to grow distant from others and then exhaustion kicks in. Exhaustion kicks in because, man, you're just trying to muster your own strength. You're just trying to figure it out on your own, and you just don't want everybody to know all of the details, but they know enough so they could stay over here, and obviously God's not at work right now, so he's doing his thing, and so you're mustering strength, and you're constantly, it's uh, one of my favorite metal bands would always say, I'm like a clock, always moving, but never going anywhere, right? That's what tends to, tends to happen as you muster your own strength. And so what we see Habakkuk do is, man, is that he's honest with God, right? He puts it on the table. And again, that doesn't mean he has all the answers. That doesn't even mean he gets the answers he wants, but at least he's putting it on the table. I've seen way too many Christians turn to isolation and then bottle everything up right? Bottle everything up, acting one way in front of others and displaying something else in front of other people. When all of that could have been avoided had we turned to God first, again, that doesn't mean you have your answers. That doesn't mean everything's going to be fixed. But turning to God, one, so that something else other than Jesus doesn't rule your heart, and then number two, man, so that you're open, you're honest, you're transparent, and you're vulnerable, and you put it on the table. Man, I don't want to be vulnerable because, man, that means people can hurt me. Yeah, man, it stinks. When you sign up to join a church body, when you sign up to join the local church, you're signing up to be sinned against. I know it hurts. I really do. That shouldn't keep us, however, from placing our trust in our eyes in Christ and still following through and working it out within the church. And here's the third thing, and all of this ties in. Here's the third thing that Habakkuk does. <clears throat> or here's the third thing that we see Habakkuk do. Habakkuk knows God. Now this might sound similar to the first one, right? But Habakkuk knows God. Here, here's what I love, and you'll see this throughout chapter one, you'll, you'll, particularly in the next, next week or so, or the next two weeks. Habakkuk appeals to the character of God. He appeals to the character of God. You see, when we are incapable of worshiping God, and when we lack honesty with God and others, this is what we forget about. We forget about the cross of Jesus. We forget about the cross of Jesus. We forget who we are, and what Jesus has done and accomplished. When we lose sight of that, and when we bottle everything up and hide in isolation, we become so narrow-minded about our complaint, our cry, and our lament that we become issue-driven instead of cross-driven. We forget that God, through Jesus, extends his mercy and his grace through his finished work on the cross. Right? 
And as a result of forgetting, we continue to grow in our arrogance and in our pride, trying to muster more and more strength, only to fail or fall again and again, rather than falling back on the mercy and grace of Jesus. That's what I mean when I say that we lose sight of the cross, that we lack transparency, and that we don't turn to God. I was, uh, this, this kind of goes back to the second point. I'm kind of backpedaling a little bit. Uh, a couple of the guys and I, several weeks ago, um, uh, we, we, we did this, this workout at the range, and there was a target that was, that was 25 yards out from me, or 50 yards out from me. Now that target, whether I wanted it to be there, was there, right, period. And so we had to do like some exercises before running up to a certain place and then, and then doing our thing with the target, right? Um, and I remember like my heart rate was going and I was like dying because it was cardio. And, uh, and so we're, we're doing this, this drill and so I start running up to the 25 yard mark. And as I'm looking at the target, man, I, I, I promise you, like I could not see it. Man, I'm taking off my glasses. I'm like closing both eyes one at a time. I'm trying to patch one eye and I, I cannot see this target. All the while, Sean's in the back like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. He's telling me to hurry up. And I, man, I promise you clear as day that target wasn't there, but it was there. You know what I'm saying? Like my heart rate had gone up so much. My mind was discombobulated. I couldn't figure it out. I hate doing like kettlebell swings. That was a really dumb decision. And then running is even more foolish. And so we ran up and, and so there it is. And it's like, it's, it's, it's not like my mind was discombobulated where the target's doing this. It was like, it's not there. And I'm screaming, I can't see it. And Sean's like, hurry up. Here, here's, here's the thing, right? Like, in a nutshell, I felt like looking back at that and thinking about that this week, I kind of felt maybe that's, that's kind of a really poor reference, but maybe that's kind of like how Habakkuk felt. Like all of this confusion, his mind's discombobulated, all of this stuff is going on around him, and he's called to, man, not only continue to pave the way, but to go to the truth first. And the truth for him is that God is the one who is receiving his response. That target was there whether I wanted it or not. Like that's the truth. The target was there. Everything else around me was going completely bonkers. Right? Maybe that's a poor reference. Not sure. But nevertheless, that was the one thing that my mind went to in that one example. When we look at what's going on around us, when things are unraveling, those three things that we see Habakkuk do would be my encouragement to you. Because here's the thing, man. He's seeing God's people engage in idolatry and corruption. Maybe that's the kind of season you're in, right? Maybe you're just in a really difficult season to where everything's going crazy. Everything is kind of discombobulated. Everything is moving side to side and you don't know where to start. Start by turning to God. Start by turning to God so that something else doesn't rule your heart. And then when you do that, be honest with him. Be transparent and vulnerable with him. And then finally, remember the cross. Remember the cross. See, we're so easy to forget the cross. 
We're so easy to forget what Jesus has already done. We're so easy to forget his finished work on the cross. And so as we close, here would be my two final thoughts. Here would be my things that I want to encourage you with. Number one, there is no sin with more power than the cross. There is no sin with more power than the cross. Some of you here are super tired. You're frustrated. You're exhausted. Perhaps it's because you keep on mustering your own strength and using others as excuses. Man, repent of that. Repent of that and turn to God. Turn to God so that something else doesn't rule your heart. Right? Repent and trust Jesus. Repent of your sin and trust Jesus. That's, that's exactly what he went to, to the cross for. Now, with that being said, that doesn't mean that your answer, you're going to have your answers tomorrow. That doesn't mean that as we go into a time of prayer, you're going to have it all figured out. Doesn't mean that. I'm not talking, this whole sermon isn't even about figuring it all out, right? This whole sermon is about realizing that we are not to be an issue-driven people, but a cross-driven people. And so there is no sin with more power than the cross. Number two, through Habakkuk, my hope is that we would be ruined by this series. What we're going to see in chapters one and two is him coming to God with complaints, him coming to God with confusion, him coming to God with frustration, him coming to God with a ton of different things. And we're going to hear and see God's response. And so I pray that God would wreck us and ruin us through Habakkuk so that it would create a dependency on him that it would create a dependency on God even when we don't have all of the answers. Even when things still don't make sense. Even when stuff's still unraveling right in front of us. My hope is that we would be ruined by by this series and that it would lead us into this dependence on God. That we would be a people who is not issue-driven, but cross-driven. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we, uh, as we begin to close our time, Lord, uh, as we begin to close our time, Lord, I pray, kind of what I just said a while ago, I, I pray, Lord, that, that you would that you would use our study in Habakkuk to just wreck our hearts. That you would use this study in Habakkuk to just ruin us of, man, maybe our lack of authenticity, maybe of, uh, man, the sin that we're currently holding on to, whether that's, that's bitterness or something else that we're actively dwelling in and, uh, uh, and trying to justify it because of how we feel rather than what you've done in and through your son Jesus. I pray that we would also feel uh, encouraged by Habakkuk to come to you with, uh, man, with, with honest, uh, everything from complaints to laments and cries. That we would appeal to your character so that we could better understand you and then ultimately better understand ourselves. I pray that through Habakkuk and how we relate to some of the complaints he has, 
we would learn that your responses deal first with us and our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that, man, that we would repent of our sin so that we would trust in you, so that we would have dependency on you, so that our hearts would be ruled and governed and, uh, by your word and that your word would dwell richly in our lives in spite of confusion, in spite of frustration, in spite of not having all of the answers. Because the truth is, I don't, I don't know if we'll get all of the answers all of the time. But that's not, that's not the point of this. The point of this is that you draw us closer to yourself through your word, that the righteous will live by your faith. <clears throat> and Lord, as we continue this time of worship and we go into a time of tithes and offerings, Lord, this is a time where we give you our stuff. This is a time where we let go and relinquish the control we think we have. This is a time where we can tangibly see uh, the work of your Holy Spirit in us, in us and through us. This is where we can make much of you in light of what you are doing. This is an opportunity to begin to turn to you and not hold on to other idols. So Lord, in this time, lead us to worship you. Man, soften and even break our hearts right now so that we would worship you through giving just as we've worshiped you by hearing the preached word and continue to worship you through song. And in a moment, Lord, we're, as we spend more time in prayer, may we give you our sin where you do only what you can do where we meet you at that place where you've given us grace and we are reminded of your amazing grace. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.